Across time and generations, birth stories are shared. The struggles and the joys of the birth are told. Often ushering in those babies are the midwives. The midwives whose stories are never told. This is the place where we tell our story, our journey to midwifery. I'm your host, Amber Wilson, a midwife myself, and I hope you'll join me each episode to listen to amazing stories of midwives all across the globe. Hey listeners, before we get started today, I just wanted to thank you all so much for sending ideas and suggestions of who I should have on the podcast my way. I had quite a few of you reach out to me via email at journeytomidwifrypodcast at gmail.com to send me suggestions. And that is great. Please keep it up. It's just me. I'm the host, the producer, the human resources, the everything. So I really, really appreciate the help from you all to find people to be on the podcast. Um, I reach out to everybody you send me. Not everyone responds, but I will reach out to anyone you send me. And if they're willing to be on, then awesome. I will have them on. And then real quick, before we get started, I want to talk to you about my sponsor, Midwifery Business Consultation. You can find them at www.midwiferybusinessconsultation.com. If you're looking for a resource that truly understands midwives, Midwifery Business Consultation offers support to outstanding people trying to be uh, to better our world through business ownership, improved care, and resiliency. Midwifery Business Consultation can help with any practice setting with business or financial planning needs. Even if you're not ready to start a private practice, Midwifery Business Consultation can help with negotiating contracts, work benefits, wealth accumulation, tax reduction, and retirement planning. So head on over to the website, look at the blog, there's videos, there's courses. If you sign up for a course, use the code JOURNEY20 to get a discount for your course. That's it. Let's get started. Okay, we are back for another episode of Journey to Midwifery podcast. And this week, I am excited to have Cassandra on and um, hi, Cassandra. I'm going to let you give us your intro. Hi. Um, well, let's see. Um, my name is Cassandra Aho. I own Midnight Midwifery here in Port Orchard, Washington. Um, and I am a CPM, Certified Professional Midwife, as many probably already know. Um, and yeah, I'm just really excited to be here today. Well, I'm glad that we met up and you waited for me <laughs> and um, that we could do this. So... Just tell me your story, like start from the beginning. What brought you to midwifery? What was your initial why I wanted to become a midwife? Oh boy. It's such a long and windy road, um, which I feel like make the best stories. So I, uh, much like many people I know, um, had two births in the hospital. I did not grow up, um, in an area where midwifery was, was present So to be very honest, I didn't even know what it was for a very long time in my life. Um, And I had, as I said, two babies in the hospital. The first birth was so amazing. My OB provider was absolutely phenomenal and respectful and just 
did everything right, you know, stayed with me in the room in ways that I now know OBs don't typically do. Um, she, from the time, you know, my, I was progressing, just stayed right with me um, and offered me any kind of support I needed, whether it be, you know, pressure points on my back or helping me manage different positions. And I really was like, this is what hospital birth is? Like, who complains about this? This is amazing. Um, and then a year or two after that, I had another baby in the hospital. And that, that experience was not uh, as kind. Um, I was treated really poorly and uh, my birth was mismanaged. Um, and I almost lost my life. Now, what I didn't know then, and I know now, is that I had some compounding factors. I was a, a victim of intimate partner violence, and um, I had some risk factors that weren't taken um, into consideration during my births. So that was my first experience with birth in general, right? My own kids. And then, um, Later in life, I, I left that uh, abusive relationship. Um, birth it, in and of itself really transformed me into a more powerful person, more informed about who I was and what my abilities were and, and really just bolstered my confidence. And so I started kind of a fresh start and it was in a, a support group for domestic violence victims and survivors that I met other people that, you know, of course had similar life stories as I did. And it just so happened that one of them was pregnant and was afraid to go to the hospital by themselves. And I thought, well, hey man, I have had two kids. And I, patting myself on the back, had two kids without medications and, you know, whatever I can, I can be there. It can't be hard to like be there to support you. Um, and I realized really quickly, I was super wrong about how hard it can be to hold that space for somebody. Um, and I watched, I watched this person who had worked so hard to rebuild themselves after destruction go into labor and the obstetric violence dismantled them all over again. And I was just really devastated by that. So um, I, I realized that there had to be a different way. And so that's when I started researching birth work in general and, and what people's options were and, um, and stuff like that. And so from there, I took a doula training and was so excited because I, I thought that I could really make change. And then at the end, the very end, it was like a three-day workshop, right? And at the very end, somebody said, you know, it's not your job to advocate for people. You can't speak up. You have to let them speak up. And I kind of stopped for a minute and I was like, oh, this is not going to work for me because I can't just let um, violence happen in front of me. So right there, I made the decision to become a midwife because I was not going to be a person that could be kicked out of the room during birth. 
And yeah, that's what led me to midwifery. Yeah. And that makes sense because you could give people the care that you wanted them to have. Yeah. Yeah. It was really important, you know, to see the, the difference in how birth can help a person grow and become strong or how it could completely, you know, dismantle everything they're working for. So. And I would imagine for you, as you said, having had that trauma in your own birth and your, in your past, seeing someone else go through, it must've been really hard for you too. It was, but also, I mean, I feel like in a lot of ways it was eye opening that it wasn't just me. I feel like, um, I feel like people carry a shame, you know, when it, when they're in a toxic or abusive situation, kind of in any circumstance, there's a secret shame, um, and isolation and loneliness. And so for me, it, it, it was less traumatizing and more triggering of, okay, something needs to be done about this because this is something that happens way more than just in my little bubble. So you went on to be a midwife and how did you do that? So I started researching midwifery schools and, um, I settled on the midwives college of Utah. Uh, I thought that um, they had a really, really great reputation um, and it was accredited, which was really important to me. And uh, they were, it was a flexible, um, flexible schedule, if you will, being that I was, you know, already near my thirties and had two children, another one on the way and, you know, a whole family to take care of. Um, so I, I really thought that that was going to be the best possible answer. And thankfully I was right. Mm-hmm. I, um, I had a lot of support through MCU. I feel like the institution as a whole, um, genuinely cares about their students and all of the instructors throughout my years there, I was, you know, a, student for five years, every one of my instructors really pushed me to excel and really supported me when I was feeling overwhelmed. Because as you know, um, midwifery school can be really overwhelming. Um, and yeah, I think that it, the, the institution itself was just absolutely phenomenal. And I great, I gained a lot of support with other students as well. It's, you know, for being a distance, learning establishment, the students are very close. I was very close with my cohorts. I was very close with my peers, um, even though it was maybe only online, you know? Mm -hmm. Did you ever meet at the campus? I did not. I was, I was in the last year that they didn't, um, they didn't have that requirement. Um, but I did, I was really, really blessed to meet a lot of the students when I moved to Washington state in my midwifery school, um, in my education, I moved four times mm. because we're a military family. Add so, to stress. Yeah. Right. Um, so when I moved to Washington state, I was really lucky to be able to meet quite a few students. And you did your like, uh, 
didactic clinical portion just wherever you lived? Yeah. So, well, I really struggled. Um, I really struggled getting a clinical placement until we moved to Washington. That was kind of why we decided um, this last time to come here because originally when I started and I was in Michigan and midwifery was there, it was a thing, but um, it still wasn't uh, completely legal or regulated. And I didn't have a lot of access. I also got a lot of kickback as a student because I had children um, and a military husband. So I don't think very many people wanted to take a risk on taking me as a student. Um, and then we lived in Alabama for a while where it was completely illegal up until a year or two ago. So I couldn't find a placement there. Um, but I did my clinical placement here with uh, Rachel Cook, who runs New Day Midwifery. And she is, I don't know, she, like, she is a gift to any student. Any, at, she's just, she's amazing. Well, she should come on and tell us her story. I agree. I, I absolutely agree with that. I think, um, Try to find her. if I, I'm happy to link the two of you together because I feel like the whole world needs to know about her. Um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of struggle as a student in midwifery. It's almost the, uh, at times like the dog eat dog, you know, like, I, for some students, it can be really, really hard. Um, and because most clinical placements are not paid and, you know, uh, in the CPM route, I'm not quite sure about the CNM route, but. Um, oh, no, it's not. And I can oh. tell you that I can echo your statements from CPMs, CNMs. It doesn't matter. It's the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like this, um, you know, there's still this idea of like eating your young or it was hard. It's hard for you because it was hard for me. Uh, and before I met Rachel, I was in a couple of other placements that were really damaging. I mean, they were, it was hard. It's midwifery school is hard enough. Juggling a family is hard enough. Being a military spouse is hard enough. And then to have somebody, um, perpetually make you feel like you're just not good enough. Um, is really challenging. And Rachel is like, I, there's just not even enough good words to say about her. The way that she treats her students, the way that she builds somebody up instead of tearing them down is such an asset to the midwifery community as a whole. She's, she's training phenomenal midwives and she's doing it with a, like a compassion that I've just never seen before. Wow. She sounds pretty amazing. And now correct me if I'm wrong, but I've also heard Washington state is supremely midwifery friendly. It is. Yes. That is, that's ultimately why we decided to move here so that I could finish. Um, Washington state is a, is a really phenomenal place for, for midwifery, for home birth families. Um, you know, it's accepted by most insurances in state insurance is included. It's the scope here is, is really, really great for midwives. Rarely are, you know, do we feel like our hands are tied behind our backs kind of thing. At least I can speak for myself, maybe not everybody. Um, but I think that it's just a really friendly place, you know, compared to places 
where it's illegal and completely hostile. Um, I love being here in this community. Yeah. And so you made it, you finished. Yeah. Yeah. Weirdly. (laughs) (laughs) I almost didn't think I would, but I did graduate, uh, earlier last year. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. And And then what did you do? Well, uh, at that point, um, I decided it was time to have another baby because why not? And I say that with a smirk that you don't get to see. Sorry. (laughs) You know, adding more mayhem is my point. Um, And I took a little bit of a break. I'm not, I'm not uh, licensed yet in Washington state. I'm a CPM, but Washington state has further requirements for licensure. Uh, So I got pregnant and had my very first home birth, which was amazing with Rachel, of course, as my midwife. And um, so I'm just kind of coming off of maternity leave and working towards uh, being licensed here in, in the state. But I have taken a huge focus on intimate partner violence during pregnancy and trying to help educate all maternal healthcare providers about the effects and the risks and the outcomes that are associated with intimate partner violence during pregnancy. So I love this and I can't wait to hear more, but um, one thing I'll always say, like if I maybe have a, a mama that's like really tense, I'll say, you know, sometimes birth and labor brings up a trauma that maybe you didn't even know you had because it's an intimate process. So I imagine that you see a lot of that especially in people with known trauma. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what are you, what is your focus? What are you teaching people? Um, I really try to give the, the basics. I think there's a lot of misinformation surrounding intimate partner violence, as well as the role that a provider plays. Um, so in, I have a, I have like a, a four-part lecture that um, I do, and in it we discuss exactly what intimate partner violence is, how it's different from domestic violence, because the terms are used at the same, they're not the same, um, and we talk a lot about the signs and symptoms of domestic violence or intimate partner violence. Often we have the, the typical things that everybody thinks they'll notice, but there are a lot of other things. Um, I talk about the the implication during pregnancy, the risk for hypertension, risk for GDM, um, risks to baby for you know small birth weight and and the various uh, implications that way. And then I really try to focus as much as I possibly can about how midwives or any healthcare provider can make their practice as safe as possible for the potential of a client having, being a victim of intimate partner violence. Um, Statistically, you know, we, as midwives, we train for things, emergencies, birth emergencies that may, we may never see in our careers, right? But we know about them just in case. Um, but the reality is, is that one in three birthing people are potentially victims of intimate partner violence. So 
it, it's really important to not look at it as if we have these clients, but to know that we likely have and will continue to have these clients and how can we as providers create the safest place for them. So I don't want to take away from your course, but maybe you can offer some highlights on, you know, how we as midwives or providers, first of all, can address that question with our clients and how to make it safe, a safe space. Sure. Yeah. Um, the first thing I would say is, is using a good screening tool. Um, there are a lot of screening tools out there and finding one that you're comfortable with is going to make all the difference in the world. Um, asking, for example, you know, sitting in front of somebody and going, you're, you're safe at home, right? Like there's not a problem. You're not being hurt. That's not an adequate screen. Um, that's not helpful. So having a real, like, are you being, have you been hit? Have you been pushed? Does somebody say something to you that makes you feel bad about yourself? Like being very specific with screening questions. Um, and then being prepared with the, the possibility of having a positive screen or somebody coming in, you know, disclosing intimate partner violence. So having resources available um, for local shelters, uh, an attorney if necessary, the a law enforcement, like just knowing whether or not your law enforcement has uh, a victim's tax, task force will make all the difference. And knowing how maybe your local court systems handle intimate partner violence, because it's all about informed consent, right? Like knowing, being able to say to a victim, okay, if you disclose this, then X, Y, and Z will happen, you know, um, so that they can make that decision on their own. It's also really important. And, and this one is really difficult, I think, for, for healthcare providers to understand, but um, pregnancy is not the time to push somebody to leave. That's actually, you know, leaving can be the most dangerous time. And so many victims are well aware and are actively working to, to create a plan and coming in and demanding that they leave uh, can be really dangerous. Yeah, I would imagine that's not helpful at all. No, but you'd be surprised at how many um, people who are so well-intentioned believe that mandatory reporting um, intimate partner violence is, is a necessity. So how can we make the person feel safe in answering these questions or, I mean, we can't make anybody do anything, but what can we do in our role to help open that door to have the client be able to feel like they can say what's going on or ask for help? I think that it's, you know, midwives are, are better suited than most because there's already a, a respectful and open, intimate relationship most of the time, right? Most of the clients are really intentional and midwives connect on a different level. Um, but it would be, it would just, it would just be allowing allowing the space, just like we do for anything else, 
right? Allowing the space for our clients to come and talk to us. If there's never, you know, if there's never a time where the client is alone, put a note in, in the dipstick box or in the bathroom or someplace where just a client can see it, that if they want to reach out, you're open. You know, does that make sense? Now, as somebody who's worked a lot of home births, just out of curiosity, is this still an issue for people that are doing home birth? I, no, I don't believe so. I don't believe so. I, cause I'm just curious thinking, you know, you have to really have, um, good support to do a home birth. So if you don't have yeah. that, I think, you know, I don't think that it's an indication not to have a home birth. I think that if anything, a home birth can be that much more empowering, hmm. um, and claiming that space as, as their own. I think that each individual circumstance is going to have a very different answer, if that makes sense. There are certainly certainly situations where it is not safe to have a a home birth, depending on, um, on escalations or violence or, or things like that, obviously. Um, But I think that in general, I don't believe, I don't believe that this would risk somebody out of home birth. No. Yeah. Um, and I guess I was just thinking along the lines of the, if the partner was the perpetrator, would they be supportive of the home birth? You know, it's, it's hard for, it's really hard for me to say, Yeah, you know, it's, how do you get into the mind of an abuser? I, I don't, I don't know. I imagine, um, I imagine that they'd be just fine with that because that's their comfort zone too, as well. You know, I mean, yeah, good point. That's but true. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think any of us know, but yeah, just, you know, kind of trying to think about the situation and, you know, how to address it and where we'd see it, but I guess you can't really predict it ever. No. And that's, you know, it's an unfortunate thing because we have, we love our protocols and we have love our screenings and our things that point out problems so that we can do something about them beforehand. Uh, and unfortunately, this is just one of those things that there's no real straight answer in any direction. Mm-hmm. Every case is so different. So what? It, how is your course set up? How can somebody take it? Uh, well, I'm currently in uh, the process of recording them for uh, midwifery business consultations uh, for their website. And it'll be up online. Yep. It'll be up online for anybody to, to take. Uh, they are, it is accredited by ACNM. So I feel like that's helpful for people. Uh, I also have just done, done this via webinar for various organizations or Um, you know, come in and done a specific practice training. It's really, however it suits anybody, whatever they need, I'm happy to help with. Yeah. And is it just a self-paced course, the one online? Um, It's no, I mean, there's, it's four parts. Each part is about an hour long. Hmm. Um, And I would, I would imagine it's more of a, a lecture style than anything. Yeah. Well, that's great. I'm going to take that course. Yeah. I mean, hopefully you enjoy it and feel free to ever give me feedback. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it'd be so informative. I've never taken an intimate partner violence course. So 
I think that's really great that you're doing that. So you are going to get licensed and are you going to try to get back into being a midwife? Yeah, I think so. I mean, at this point, I'm really enjoying um, birth assisting for other midwives in my area. Mm -hmm. um, I it gives me a little bit more freedom because as you know, as a military spouse, one of the hardest things is not knowing when we're going or if we're going or um, and it now would just be I feel like it would be so irresponsible, especially with the kind of clientele that I would attract to, you know, fill up my roster and then say, Oh, now I've got to move. Yeah. So, you know, for now, I just, I'm working really hard to, uh, continue my education. I am starting a, a master's program in maternal child health systems, uh, to hopefully create even more of a systemic dialogue about intimate partner violence. And, um, yeah, it's my dream. It's my really, I'm just going to say, I'll say this here because then she'll have to hire me. It is my dream that Rachel will just hire me in her practice and I can work for her and keep doing what I want to do as well. <laughs> well, you'll have to send her this episode. <laughs> We're going to manifest that Rachel hire Cassandra. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> oh no, I think it's so great. Um, I haven't come across anybody that's doing projects like you're doing and those, those statistics are staggering and I don't feel like we know enough about that, you know? No. And I think too, one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about it is because, um, you know, earlier it sound, it, it may have sounded like I was villainizing hospital births and I'm certainly not like, I, like I said, I have had phenomenally supported birth in the hospital. Um, I think the problem is, is there, there's just a lack of training and understanding mm -hmm. surrounding trauma in general um, and how birth affects that. So, you know, I don't know. I just, I wanna, wanna open that dialogue with people so that we can all do better because birthing parents deserve to have the best experience, whether that be at home or in the hospital or in the middle of a field you know? Yeah. Now, if you could get, having had hospital experience and being an intimate partner, violent kind of, uh, expert for lack of a better word, if you could give, like, if I was a provider going on to L and D and I'm not, I don't know this, this person, what are the top three things that I could do to cautiously care for somebody with an unknown history? Or, even, or with a history, either way, what can I do? Oh, that's such a good question because there's like oh, so many. Top three, first and foremost, ask consent for everything. Like real true consent. If, if somebody needs a blood pressure taken, ask if it's okay if you take their blood pressure and wait for them to respond. That would be, you know, like consent would be the very first thing. And from there, um, I would say, honestly, treat everybody as if mm -hmm. they potentially have trauma because it's likely that they do, mm -hmm. right? I mean, everybody carries trauma. Everybody has been through some sort of pain in which then childbirth definitely magnifies that. Um, and the third one 
would be don't make an assumption about somebody. For example, um, in my class, I use case studies of, you know, just basic client information and, you know, client was screened and had chlamydia. So the, the OB instantly thought reckless behavior. Mm-hmm. What if it wasn't reckless behavior, but it was transmitted by a trusted partner who was abusive, right? So just approaching everything to not make judgment and to just offer support right where they are. I don't know if those are good answers. No, that's great. And even those steps I would, I feel like would make such huge progress in improving obstetric care. And you are a hundred percent correct that people have trauma and no matter, you know, they have trauma. If it, if it wasn't intimate partner violence, it was something and labor often brings that up because yeah. people are in your space and they're touching places that, you know, maybe people don't usually touch. And so it can bring up a lot of um, skeletons, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, there's this idea that, uh, that providers feel like if somebody tells them no, or doesn't want to do what they want, they just feel personally attacked mm-hmm. and like forget that somebody has the right to make choices about their own body. You know, it's almost like, I get that you're the expert, but also I'm the expert on my body. So if I don't want that test or I don't want that screen, like that has to be okay with you. It's not a personal insult. <laughs> right. Yep. And is they're aware of what, you know, is going on and what the reason they, maybe that provider wants to do it and they still say no, then you just got to let it go. Yeah. You know, well, I think it's great. I, I love what you're doing. I'm Thank looking you. forward to, um, when it, do you have a, a launch date? Oh boy. Well, um, I'm, I was really shooting for the end of January to have at least the first four uh, parts up. Um, Beginning tomorrow, I'm starting uh, a victim advocacy and sex trafficking certification course. So it might be pushed back just a little bit because I wanna be sure that I have this new perspective of this course in, you know? But, but the projected, I would say by the end of February at the latest, all four parts will be out. Um, and hopefully some others, I want to, I want to give a better opportunity to learn what risk assessment is and, and how to safety plan and how to do actively do things instead of just quickly talking about them. I want to give the opportunity to really learn how to do them. Yeah. Cause it's a hard thing to broach and not feel super awkward about it. Yeah. Oh yeah. It really is. I still, I mean, I, I, there's, the problem is, is that people are going to be offended if you, if you offer a screen, like people will be offended. Like, how dare you think that I would be in this situation? Um, But it, but for all those people that could be offended, this could also potentially save a lot of lives. So, you know, it's worth it. It's worth it to have the uncomfortable conversations. Yeah, you're right. You are right. Well, thank you for coming on and sharing your story with us. Do you have anything to add that I didn't ask? Um, 
I don't think so. I really appreciate you, you know, letting me come on here and jabber away. This is like the most adult conversation I've had in (laughs) my oldest is nine. So nine years. No. (laughs) I'm glad I could help with COVID. It feels like it. Doesn't it? I know. This is is how we converse now on Zoom with everybody. So, (laughs) well, I'm glad to get your message out. And I think this is going to be a great resource for not just midwives, but you know, so many providers. And I hope that your course does wildly, is wildly successful because it benefits everybody else as well as you. Thank you. Well, and you know, my, I'm always available too. I just want to add that if, if anybody has questions or concerns and maybe needs somebody to talk to in this regard, um, I'm always available. So yeah. How do, do you want to give out a contact email or something? Sure. Yeah. My contact uh, email is midnight midwifery at gmail.com. Okay. I'll put that in the show notes too. Awesome. Thank you. And I can also be my, you know, my business page is going through a bunch of construction because of why not. Um, So Facebook right now, midnight midwifery at Facebook um, is another way to get in touch with me. Okay. Are you on Instagram? I am. Yes. In place. Yep. All right. Easy. I'll link all that, but awesome. Thank you. Should be easy to find. So, all right. Thank you, Cassandra. Thank you. Well, I hope you all enjoyed another episode of the Journey to Midwifery podcast. Thank you again for sending me suggestions. Please keep them coming. Journey to Midwifery podcast at gmail.com. I am on Instagram at Journey to Midwifery podcast as well. So you can find me there too. I appreciate you returning each week. And until next time.